0: Welcome to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and we're broadcasting from the annual meeting of the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. Today we're going to address REMS, or Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategies, and how REMS is being used in a broad educational strategy on opioids. As we well know, the misuse and abuse of opioids have resulted in a serious public health crisis of addiction, overdose, and death. With me today to discuss the National Opioids REMS program is Cynthia Keir. She's Senior Vice President of the California Academy of Family Physicians. And Tom McKeithen, who is Senior Consultant at Healthcare Performance Consulting. Welcome. We are glad you both can join us. Thank you. Thank you. So, Cynthia, let me start with you. Um, Can you give us a broad perspective of what REMS is?
1: Yeah. As you said, it's the Risk Evaluation Mitigation Strategy. This one is geared specifically not only at opioids, but at a subset of opioids, extended release, long-acting opioids. And uh, the FDA puts into place a REMS when they feel that potentially the risk of the drug or the therapeutic outweighs the benefits, which is what they felt about the ERLA opioids. Um, As most people know, you know, this is all happening against a background that many people describe as a national health epidemic in terms of... Uh, the abuse of uh, extended-release opioids. So um, they put together this REMS. It's unique in a couple of fashions. First, it's the first time that um, multiple companies have come together to work on a single REMS. So it is a uh, single-class REMS, if you will. Secondly, it's the very first time that they have ever used uh, CE or CME at the centerpiece of a REMS. And that is quite significant for our industry, and it's a, uh, as I said, a landmark move. Um, It's also rather unique in that the FDA prescribed a very specific um, content for all of the providers and the grantees to follow, and it is a good content, but it is rather onerous for us to deliver. In a way that most of our learners are used to, the time frame, for instance. Um, they also are requesting that all learners be uh, completely assessed um, about uh, how well they have done with and what they have learned with this educational activity. So that adds kind of another layer on top of our process. And finally, what while they are interested uh, in educating the prescribers, the nurse practitioners, the physician assistants, and the physicians, the number that they are most interested in tracking and reaching is the number of people who have prescribed an extended-release opioid in the past year, and that's a little beyond our control, and so it becomes somewhat of a challenge and a tension as we try to just provide good education to all of our members and our learners. So one of the things that we learned uh, through a landmark survey that actually Tom spearheaded in 2011, I believe it was, is that this is a really challenging area for clinicians. And this was the first time that clinicians were surveyed to ask what they thought about the Urla Rams and what they think about working in this uh, area of pain and with um, these types of therapeutics. And it's very clear that they want a lot of help. Um, And so from that vantage point, this whole initiative is very, very positive. Even though it's not perfect, it's really very um, positive, and it's a great first step. There are some challenges that relate to it, and again, my hat is off to the FDA for really trying to be as inclusive as possible with all the stakeholders that that should be included. Um, But as it's our first time out, some of the things don't always line up as cleanly as we would like. The fact that they have very... um, dense uh, content that they want all the grantees to follow uh, is a bit of a challenge in terms of providing it in the normal time allotments that learners are used to. So that's the first challenge. The second is that they want learners to also be assessed very thoroughly on what they have learned and if there are crosswalks and matches to what they want, what's in their blueprint. Um, And that's just an extra step on top of a Learning activity that is not normally there for our learners requires extra time, and then the third thing is that um, ultimately they are looking for um, a lo- certain number over four years: 320,000 uh, clinicians prescribing clinicians who have prescribed an Erla opioid in the past year, and that time frame is a little bit artificial because what if someone was on maternity leave and. She didn't prescribe in the last year, but now she's back and she's starting. Or what if somebody didn't feel comfortable, but now they've had this education and they do feel comfortable. They don't count. So we're reaching a lot of people that um, it's a question, I guess, of valuation of the learner. We think all the learners that are involved um, have a stake in better understanding this area and these drugs. For instance, Medscape probably educates about seven thousand nurses. They don't prescribe, but they're probably the people who are teeing up the patients and providing that first line mm-hmm. of patient, right. patient education. So we wish, um, you know, going forward, is there something that we wish could happen or uh, that the FDA might better understand? It would be that all of the that care is delivered in teams, mm-hmm. and that all of the people really, really matter, not just the people on whose license a prescription is written. Hopefully we'll all learn a little bit more going forward, but uh, of all the 60,000 people that we educate, we think they all have a positive role to play in terms of stemming the tide of this this
0: epidemic. Excellent. Thank you for that great description. Can you talk a little bit about some of the partners that are working on this, Tom?
2: Sure. We have a variety of uh, partners involved. I believe there's 13 partners in the whole endeavor, and um, many of those are membership organizations, clinical organizations uh, with a variety, variety of professions, not, not just um, primary care and specialty physicians, but nursing organizations, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and so forth. So a broad diva- variety designed to reach all of those stakeholders um, in the pre- prescribing universe for ERLA opioids.
0: Okay, just so we are clear on how both of your organizations as your own stakeholders, Tom, what specifically is your group doing with this program? Sure.
2: Healthcare Performance Consulting is charged with um, collecting and analyzing and reporting the outcomes data from these activities. So um, we developed the assessment that is being used It's a knowledge assessment as well as some additional um, commitment to change questions and methodology that we're using to assess outcomes.
0: Okay, and Cynthia with the uh, California Academy of... Family Physicians, what's your role in this so we understand yeah, where everyone's coming yeah. from?
1: Um, the California Academy of Family Physicians, or CAFP, actually uh, started to partner early on, uh, well over five years ago, with the American Pain Society to pull together this collaboration. So we co-lead it with the APS, and um, all of the organizations, and there are um 13 active organizations uh, right now in our collaboration. All of the organizations um, come together because they are committed to the, providing this education to their members, it's appropriate to their mission statements, and they their members represent the um, targeted learners that the FDA has uh, specified be educated with this um, educational content. Um, so... CAFP provides and delivers education, but in addition, we have some particular leadership uh, role. Uh, I sit on the executive team along with three other um, E-team members. Uh, we are very much involved with the operations, as you can imagine, a 13-partner uh, collaboration that represents 713,000 potential prescribing clinicians is a pretty large um, initiative and endeavor Indeed. and there's a lot of um, project management that has to be done sure. and good yeah. governance structure that has to be followed so CAFP is particularly involved with those facets as, as well as providing educations to um, education to family physicians
0: right sounds like a, a rather large management role there but um, what types of education what are the different formats and uh, how are you rolling this out
1: Yeah. Um, One of the benefits of of our members being largely associations uh, is that they have proprietary access, or they have access to proprietary channels. So all of them command live meetings, whether they're national, regional, state chapter, and we're able to take our content and to deliver it through those very robust live meeting channels. Additionally, they have proprietary messaging and online presences with their members, and so we're able to take advantage of that. So there's a there's a tremendous heft uh, uh, and reach that we get by virtue of our partners. And at this point in time, it's probably about uh, equal in terms of the number of learners that are reached through uh, live activities as well as online
0: activities. Okay, so yeah. obviously different formats of the media yeah. to reach them. Well, if you're just joining us, this is lifelong learning on ReachMD, and we are talking about REMS. With me today is Cynthia Keir and Tom McKeithen. So Tom, you're the the data guy over here in the group. Um, What are the results looking like so far?
2: Well, the results are very encouraging and positive in a lot of respects. From a sheer participation standpoint and implementation, there's some 300 plus activities that have been delivered to date. And participation has been in the neighborhood of 60,000 plus participants, uh, clinicians, who are interested in this area among these target audiences that we've mentioned earlier. So from that standpoint, very successful. We've also, as I mentioned earlier, uh, implemented a knowledge assessment that was prescribed by the FDA as as being part of this whole package. And um, from that, we've seen an improvement, um, about a 75% correct average in the first year of the the program, uh, going up to about 81% correct at this point and a much bigger difference actually between non-participants and participants in the activity so we're delivering the knowledge we know that um, we are taking it a step further with commitment to change assess commitment to change assessments where we uh... find out what they intend to change and then we follow up and ask them what did they actually change in their practice as a result of their participation And we've seen very positive results there too following up that up as well with uh, uh, qualitative interviews that allow us to ask questions like, "If you made the change, how did you make the change? What was involved? Did you have to um, hire staff, buy equipment? What exactly did you do?" Um, as well as find out some of the barriers that were involved. And so this is this allows us to implement a continuous improvement process that allows us to continually improve um, the deliverables of the educational activities. Mm-hmm.
0: It sounds like those tools for measurement um, could be applied really to any of the education that you've done. So it's pretty consistent.
2: Absolutely. The uh, the content is consistent, and so the, um, the tools are consistent. And beyond that, we've made these tools available to others uh, outside of the core collaborative that are also doing REMS education for them to use as well.
0: Great. Any outliers, either things you didn't expect to see or you're still waiting to happen?
2: Yeah, I think... Um, what we have in mind for sort of the, the next phase is going to higher levels of outcomes. Um, obviously, uh, knowledge is good, and we're seeing that move in the right direction, and um, we're seeing commitment to change type measurements. But I think ultimately we'd really like to see what is the change in this public health problem and how do we measure that. It's a, it's a huge problem. It's the reason that we're all in it, and we'd like to see, Um, some measurable way to figure out what is the impact on that public health issue. Mm
0: So, Cynthia, tell me a little bit about the organizations. There's, as you said, 13 of them. So, what are the other ones, and and what are they doing?
1: Yeah, we're very pleased with the uh, people who have joined this partnership, and broadly it reflects both primary care as well as specialty groups. As I mentioned, um, the project was initiated and is led jointly by the American Pain Society and CAFP. But we have every member is wonderful. We have AOA, AANP, AAPA. ASAM, uh, the Hospice and Palliative Care Association. We also have IPMA, of course HPC, doing such great research and outcomes work for us. The Nurse Practitioner Healthcare Foundation. We're very, very fortunate to have Medscape uh, as our online um, provider. And uh Physicians Institute of Excellence in Medicine. Through them, we reach over or about 20 state medical societies, another very important audience. And we have been recently been joined by the emergency room physicians who may not prescribe a lot of these, but certainly see people who are suffering the consequences right. of it. So uh, very, very important groups all to the heart of the problem, and we
0: think ultimately to the heart of the solution as well. Right. Excellent. Lots of, lots of quality organizations there. Mm-hmm. Um, you both presented at this annual conference, and uh, what are some of the key takeaways you hope people had from your presentation about this program?
2: I think one of the takeaways that we we're really hoping for, and I think the, um, the Q&A discussion really bore that out, is that it's challenging to do this type of work as a collaborative. And, and um, Cynthia at CAFP and, and uh, Mary with IPMA have just created a, a wonderful infrastructure um, that has helped us to work through all this, everything from managing the budget to how do we hold each other accountable? You know, if we say we're going to do certain things, what are the checks and balances to make sure that we do that? So I, um, another thing that we wanted to get across is that these, there are challenges, but there's a way to get through those um, if you have people that are willing to work together and be honest with each other and hold each other accountable. And so that's what we've done.
0: Right. Did you develop any tools to help you manage this program? Are you using off-the-shelf software? Or are you using program management software? Just curious. Yeah. the um, We've had the good fortune to be,
1: uh, many of us, to be involved in another very successful collaboration that also won an award from the Alliance, uh, uh, CS Today, or C-Smoking. And um, we borrowed heavily from that infrastructure and that experience to really uh, uh, provide a strong start to CORE. Um, we do have um, a, a really clear governance structure that includes an executive team, an operations team, project management. We really try to make sure that our communication is clear and frequent enough, but not burdensome for our, our members, and that we all are uh, staying on the same page. Each organization participates to the level that they have the capacity and the comfort for. So there, it, it, there's variance there, and it's tailored. But everybody um, knows that their own contribution, whatever it is, is equally valued. So it's really one of those situations where together the sum is much, much stronger than any individual part. Uh, We use a lot of uh, technology to keep us on the same page, things like Google Docs, cloud-based technology. Um, but no off-the-shelf
0: the, uh, the um, shelf software. Right. No apps just for you guys. That's right. That's right. Not yet. So where are some uh, resources where learners can go to and learn a bit more about this?
1: Sure. Um, well, learners can go to our website, which is org. All of our educational uh, materials are avail- available there. The slide decks for live meetings, are. we have a product that is an iBook, the core iBook, that's available there as well as through iTunes and iTunes University. And um, there is a calendar um, feature so that you can go in and on a date basis or a state basis, find where our live activities are. As Tom alluded to earlier, we have over 308 activities and we're building more, adding more every day. So there's a a pretty good chance somebody could find an activity that would meet their schedule. Um, We also have a lot of online resources um, that are um, uh, available in terms of helping both our faculty as well as our learners that people can find on our website. But we're not the only game in town. Uh, People can go to other RPC grantees. They can certainly go to the website that was created by the REMS programming companies. So if they were to Google RPC and ERLA REMS, it would take them there. And the FDA uh, has a number of uh, uh, PDF and and pages that are very uh, targeted
0: toward providing more information. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you both. We really appreciate your time. Lots of work has gone into that, and we look forward to hearing more about it. Come back and do another interview with us to give us more outcomes data. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you.
1: Thanks. Thanks for the
0: opportunity. You've been watching Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This series is co-produced with the Alliance for Continuing Education in Health Professions. For more information and a full library of medical broadcasts, please visit ReachMD.com. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you.